Industry-leading, difference-making, tomorrow-shaping, world-changing. These are a few of the adjectives people use to describe the technologies and companies Deloitte works with day in and day out. Join us, and soon those very same adjectives could describe your career too. Explore technology careers at Deloitte.com slash techcareers and make an impact on business, technology, and society while engineering your future. At Deloitte. Getting that just right temperature or getting an energy-efficient appliance. It's not only about making smart changes today. It's about creating brighter tomorrows with simple steps to save energy. Plus, you'll help protect the environment for years to come. A better world for you, your family, and your community. Get started with rebates and discover what energy-efficient choices can help you power what's next at AlliantEnergy.com rebates. Today, we're breaking down Denver's 33-14 preseason victory over San Francisco. We'll evaluate the quarterbacks, talk about where the Broncos go from here, and go through some risers and fallers from Game 2. You are listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast. Welcome to the Huddle Up! Podcast, your go-to show for all things Broncos. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up! Podcast presented by Mile High Huddle. It's time to drop some knowledge. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, Scout Media, CBS Sports Digital. And with me is Will Keyes, editor and writer at Mile High Huddle. Will, we have a lot of quarterback talk to get to today, but how about those 2-0 and Broncos? Yep, Vance Joseph is still undefeated. And I think the Broncos have probably won more games at Levi's Stadium uh, since it opened than the 49ers have. Absolutely. We got to see uh, Kyle Shanahan's product on the field. And while it was uh, a little disjointed, quite sloppy, uh, execution was certainly lacking. I do have a good vibe, a good feel for the Niners that uh, better things are on the horizon, even though it might not be uh, tomorrow, per se. Yeah, I I think John Lynch has a good uh, vision, I guess you would call it. But um, one thing I thought was kind of interesting that I didn't notice until like a couple weeks ago is that John Lynch... Uh, actually signed one of his former teammates, Elvis Dumerville. So I don't know if I've ever heard of a GM going out and acquiring a player that he actually used to play with. Certainly unique. And if you look back, I think Lynch's last season in Denver was 07. So he got two years right. with Elvis, who was drafted in, in 06. But we uh, we have a lot to get to today. But before we, we start the Bronco talk... I want to uh, say thank you to our sponsor, Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash huddle up. You get a free book with your trial, and with that trial, there's over 180,000 different titles that you can choose from for that free book for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. It's audibletrial.com forward slash huddle up. This is an app that I use on just about a daily basis. Y'all know that for the new listeners just checking out the show. This is a service you got to get to. You're listening to a podcast because you like consuming your your content through an audio medium and maybe you like to read. Even if you're not a huge reader, one of the great things about Audible is you not only get the opportunity to consume the books that you want to uh, without having the time necessarily to sit down and turn the pages, 
but it also presents these books in a different way. You know, you get these different voice actors and narrators that can really light the story up, whether it's something fiction, you know, whether you're reading something nonfiction, history, if you're reading a football book. Carl and Nick have been talking a lot lately about the different football books they found uh, using their membership at, at Audible. So it's also very important to us as a show, staying healthy, staying viable, allows us to continue to bring you these shows uh, on a bi-weekly basis, if not more. So support the show. Go to audibletrial.com forward slash huddle up. Give it, give it a try. It's a free trial for 30 days. You choose your book. If you don't dig it, if you don't love it, cancel, and you won't get charged a dime. So we appreciate you. Now, Huddle Up is here to give you a deep dive on your favorite team, the Denver Broncos, and we need your help. We can't grow without you. Each and every week, we ask you to rate the show, uh, whether you're on iTunes or Stitcher, and there's a big reason for it. It helps us grow. It helps us reach new listeners. And we love that you're subscribing. We love that you're listening. We appreciate it. But if you haven't, take a second, go rate the show, leave a comment, uh, again, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher. Follow the show on Twitter at HuddleUpPod and at MileHighHuddle. Also, take a second and like the Mile High Huddle uh, Facebook page. Nick Kendall uh, did a great, great uh, Facebook Live on Sunday morning, kind of recapping uh, Broncos versus Niners. Did a little Q&A with the, with the fans and the, and the readers and the listeners. So go make sure you, you like Mile High Huddle on Facebook because from now until January... February, if we're lucky. The Broncos are, are officially back. We're going to have football each and every week. Going to be dropping knowledge, and you're not going to want to miss a single episode. All right, so let's get to uh, the football talk here, Broncos and the elephant in the room. Everyone wants to talk about, you know, what transpired last night, and for good reason. I mean, heading into this game, I published a video piece talking about this possibly being Paxton Lynch's last stand. And, you know, I understand the hyperbole in that that statement or that proposition, but at the very least, Saturday night represented the best opportunity Lynch might ever get to win the starting job. And while he didn't exactly crap the bed, he was far from impressive. There were some encouraging things about his night, but that consistency and an ability to read the defense and ability to go through his progressions just wasn't there. If the Broncos uh, chose to start him for the regular season, Will, I think there'd be some growing pain, certainly, but he'd, he'd eventually work a lot of this stuff out. Unfortunately for Lynch uh, and the Broncos' investment, first-round investment from 2016, Trevor Simeon is currently the best player, and he's the more consistent player. And John Elway, Vance Joseph, these guys are more motivated to win now than to develop a raw quarterback, and that's just the way it is, and that's fine. Lynch finished 9-13 for 39 yards and a QB rating of 72.3, which was the worst among Denver's three signal callers. Averaged just three yards per completion. And I thought, well, we'll get to this here in a minute, but I thought you had a phenomenal tweet from At Mile High Huddle yesterday talking about you know, the narrative uh, about quarterback, you know, who, which Broncos quarterback is the check down king, you know. I mean, you look right. at what Lynch was doing yesterday. It was unbelievable. But I was disappointed by Lynch's performance ultimately last night after such a strong week of practice. It felt like he, he, he was building up momentum. He had a couple good throws, uh, missed that easy connection on, on uh, <clears throat> excuse me, third down to a wide open Demarius Thomas. And then there were some other examples, of course, of him missing reads and tucking the ball, I think, to run a little too early 
And when he does that, he doesn't keep his eyes downfield, which just drives me nuts. He kind of panics. But I think Lynch also benefited big time from three Broncos uh, turnovers forced by the defense. Uh, well, and one of those, I think, obviously was a special team snafu. But he was only able to convert them uh, 13 points out of those three turnovers. And Brian Cre- uh, Greasy said it best, I think, on the broadcast. The score should have been much higher for the Broncos, but Lynch just could not move the ball with consistency. So your thoughts, Will, on Paxton Lynch's night against the San Francisco 49ers. Right. So I was thinking about when the Broncos played the 49ers in the preseason last year, and I think it was – I think that was week three as well. No, that was probably week two, actually. But Lynch played most of the second half after Simeon and Sanchez – And if you go back and look at the highlights from that game, Lynch looks a lot more confident and he looks a lot more comfortable in that offense uh, a year ago as a rookie than he, than he did last night. And so there's kind of three big problems I think right now with Pax and Lynch's game. So the first one is he's not reading coverages very quickly. You could see that with um, the third down throw that you mentioned earlier, where he kind of stared down Virgil green and he was so fixed in on Virgil Green, who was double covered on, a, I think, a corner route down the field that he missed uh, yep. Demarius Thomas, who it's not like he was on the other side of the field. He was actually in his line of sight and he, he just missed it. And I had to I literally stopped the stopped the game and and rewinded it just to make sure that I wasn't crazy. And that <laughs> that was actually a white jersey, you know, five yards in front of Paxton Lynch that he didn't throw to. Yep. So that's one problem. Another is he's, he's throwing off of his back foot a little too often. You saw that with another incompletion to Virgil Green. I can't remember if that was a that was a third down. I think it was. But it was kind of on that that hook route where he stopped um, through it a little too high and behind him. And that's kind of what will happen if you if you throw off your back foot the pass is usually going to sail ended up getting broken up uh and then third you said it too he's bailing out too early and it's good to have that athleticism but if you're only looking at one read and the read's not there and you're taking off that's that's not a really consistent way to to play quarterback in the nfl i mean it's just one of those things where you got to make your athleticism as a quarterback work for you as a quarterback he's not a running back I mean he played running back in high school and that's all fine and dandy but you look at the most athletic quarterbacks who are able to make plays with their legs outside the pocket and really the two guys I think most of are Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson when they break the pocket and the pressure's coming whatever the reason might be they break the pocket they're moving they're they're shuffling to the side they might run it forward if they're if it's daylight, but their eyes are always downfield. They're always looking for the big play in the open receiver. And Lynch, I think, again, due to just where he's at in his development, I think the pressure, again, of the situation is really getting to him. He's just not relaxed. He's not comfortable. He's not poised. And so that type of control and that type of you know self-awareness and presence to keep your eyes downfield when you do break the pocket is just escaping him. I think that it's great to have his athleticism and his ability to run the ball as an out, but it should be something more like a third or fourth option. And right now it looks like it's, it's either the first option uh, by default or the second option when the first read isn't, isn't there. So, you know, he's got to slow down. He's got to, he's really just got to calm down. And, you know, as long as he's not seeing, seeing the field very well, and he's not reading defenses very quickly. I think you know he's going to have to rely on it as a crutch, and uh, that's just got to get better. I don't know if that's in the film room or if it's just a problem with his instincts. We know uh, at Memphis he wasn't asked to do that very often. He was mostly 
hitting quick bubble screens or a first or second read down the field. But that's something he's really got to really got to improve on. You know, and he did have a couple of really good throws. The the missed uh, deep shot to Demarius Thomas down the left sideline was actually a very good read and a great throw. But the DB there, Robinson, got away with a, a defensive hold on Thomas. Otherwise, that would have been a touchdown. And who knows how we'd be talking about this whole situation today. But, you know, if its and butts were, were candy and nuts, et cetera, right. et cetera. So there's also, I think, that back shoulder throw in the end zone to Benny Fowler would have connected had they not drawn a penalty there from the DB again. So it's it's one of those things where, you know, what, what could have been. I think for now, the, the, the door has been slammed on Paxton Lynch being the, the starter out of the gates anyway for the 2017 Broncos. Now, Trevor Simeon, he entered the game late in the second quarter and received a juicy opportunity to run the two-minute offense immediately, basically. The Broncos' offense went from kind of herky-jerky uh, to an oiled machine. Simeon marched the Broncos down the field, put seven points on the board uh, when he hit Jordan Taylor on a beautiful throw down the right sideline. Simeon kind of read that coverage. I thought it was awesome. Uh, read the coverage on Taylor perfectly, placed the ball. This time it is kind of an inside shoulder where only he could get it, and touchdown. Jordan Taylor did the rest. Now, in the second half, Simeon came back in, uh, continued to look sharp, Vance Joseph was looking for his quarterbacks this week to make good decisions. Three things. Good decisions, move the ball, put points on the board. Simeon did that consistently where Lynch really just couldn't. And uh, the Trevster finished 8 of 11 for 93 yards and a touchdown with a quarterback rating of 128.2. And I tweeted out during the game that the decision is easy. This is Trevor Simeon's job and the Broncos should make short work of calling it. So, well, with the dress rehearsal game coming uh, this week against Green Bay, I would honestly expect an announcement from the team early, if not Monday, and I'd be surprised if if they don't. Yeah, I think after we saw that back shoulder throw to, to Jordan Taylor for the touchdown, there was kind of a collective... I don't know, a sigh of relief that, well, I guess the quarterback, the quarterback hashtag decision is uh, all but made now after seeing that. And that was kind of the reaction on, on Twitter. And I think uh, if you're probably on the Broncos sideline, I think that probably would have been the sentiment as well. Although obviously they're not going to, yeah, they're not going to, they're not going to talk about it publicly until they make the, the final decision, which, you know, hopefully that comes either Monday or Tuesday. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they should just do it in the, in the middle of the eclipse, just just to kind of mess with people, because <laughs> no one will be paying attention. It'd be a perfect time to do that. You know, you wouldn't really catch any heat or anything. Yeah, PR one on one. Yeah, no, I think that's a great time to break news. We'll see though. I don't. I, I'm guessing that probably won't happen. We'll we'll get back to Patrick uh, Smythe on that one. But <laughs> I think overall, Simeon looked. He just looked leaps and bounds better. Yep. And like you said, when he when he entered the game, the offense just looked. Uh, it looked really in sync. And he looked like his timing was down. He had great rhythm in uh, within the offense. Uh, he definitely had chemistry with his receivers. You know that throw to Jordan Taylor is something that you work on in practice. And if, if Taylor doesn't expect that throw, he's not turning around at the perfect time. And clearly he was. Um, so you can tell that, that that's something that they, they've worked on either in the film room or in the practice field, probably both. Um, and they have great well, chemistry in that play. It was a result of that. We saw it last year in New Orleans, almost a similar play, just actually in the end zone when Taylor hauled in that right. uh, acrobatic catch. It was really reminded me of that play in Week 10 last year. Yeah, no, it, and it looks like they've definitely built on that. And that was just a great read by by um, both players, really, um, because Asa Jackson just kind of had his 
had his back turned to Taylor. And one thing that was really impressive is that Trevor Simeon took a shot on that play. Uh, There's a corner blitz that I think it was a corner blitz, um, but it wasn't picked up. And he got drilled and still fired the ball with great velocity. Velocity, And we actually saw that on another play too, um, where he hit, I think it was a probably like a 12 yard out to Marlon Brown mm-hmm. where third quarter. Uh, yeah. Ahmad Brooks just kind of went through Ty Sambrilo. <laughs> I don't even want to say beat him because Sambrilo looked like he just went the wrong way. Yep. And he basically almost got the, the quarterback killed on that play. But, Trevor Simeon stood tall and then delivered another perfect strike to Marlon Brown. Um, hit him again, I think, on the next play. But that's kind of what you've uh, wanted to see out of a Broncos quarterback. And we we didn't get that out of Paxton Lynch, but we definitely got it out of Trevor Simeon. And I think that's why he's definitely going to be the starter pretty soon. Yeah, and you just saw him reading the field more accurately, more naturally. Um, Paxton Lynch had that one sack on third down where – he missed the uh, DB blitz off the the right side there. And, you know, just little things like that that honestly get worked out with reps. You know, we got to remember that, that Trevor Simeon started 14 games last year, and it's just a wealth of experience that Paxton Lynch doesn't have up to this point. And so you expect Trevor Simeon to be better in that department. But at the same time, with a year in the NFL under his belt and the countless hours of practice, the countless hours of film study, you would hope that Paxton Lynch in a preseason game could recognize something like that. Now, another thing I want to touch on here, I mean, many Broncos fans are disappointed in how the competition shook out. The Broncos have have really been lacking that dynamic quarterback since Peyton Manning hung up his cleats, and you could even argue since before that, like since, you know, 2014 was really the last true Peyton Manning and true form that that the Broncos had. And the Broncos have lacked that dynamism at that position. And Paxton Lynch's measurables and his potential really seem to give the Broncos the best chance of having that type of signal caller again when you're just looking at it from the surface. But as Vance Joseph said on Saturday night after the game, listen, it's not about potential, it's about production. And so far, Trevor Simeon has clearly outproduced Lynch on the field of play. Now, I talked about this on Twitter uh, Saturday night. As excited as so many fans were about the prospect of Lynch winning the job and developing into that type of player the Broncos expected him to be, it's not. It's probably not going to happen this year. So what are the Broncos left with? You know, Trevor Simeon, listen, he's not Kyle Orton 2.0. There are a lot of similarities between Simeon and Orton as, as players, as throwers of the football, but they're two totally different uh, heads. Simeon, he might not be as gifted physically and athletically as Lynch, but he's also a very young quarterback who I believe has yet to hit his ceiling. Now, there are many out there, Will, on Twitter especially, and elsewhere, who will use absolutes to argue this point. But the truth is this. Nobody knows what Simeon's ceiling is. And if you go back and you look at his 2016 season as a first-time starter, if he were a first-round pick, Will, everybody would be talking about him being the second coming of you know, some former Bronco great. But as a seventh rounder, and this is something Chris Harris Jr. talks about pretty regularly, he has to basically, Simeon, double the production in order to get the credit that he deserves. For example, if Lynch had started those 14 games last year, put up the numbers that Simeon did, the perception, I think, of Lynch would be similar to that of Jameis Winston. He'd be considered a talented, you know, budding franchise quarterback with great, great things on the horizon. Simeon 
conversely, is never going to get the benefit of the doubt in that respect. So he has to go out, he has to work twice as hard to get half the same credit that would be given to a first rounder. So my point here is that I, for one, am excited to see if Simeon can show some growth in his second year as a starter. You know, he's going to be working behind an improved O-line, a better running game. I do expect Simeon's numbers to improve despite the Broncos uh, having the toughest schedule in the NFL. So here's the bottom line, gang. It's time to put hashtag the decision to bed and rally behind Trevor Simeon. He still has a lot to prove, no doubt. I mean, there's question marks there, Will. But let's not forget, Simeon is also a John Elway draft pick. He is also a Denver Broncos draft pick, and he's earned the right to start plain and simple. Right. The whole ceiling argument that we've seen so many times is such a lazy argument because what do we know? And he's a seventh-round draft pick. Uh, I think it doesn't matter where you're – taken in the draft if you're even taking it all of course you can get better from year one to year two to year three and we've seen that too if you look at uh trevor simeon in the preseason uh back in 2015 he looked pretty good then but then you go back and you look at how he did last night there's so much tangible uh development that we've seen and it's not just you know tools and kind of these lofty things that are hard to quantify but right uh, you know, it's it's the really technical things. It's being able to recognize zone coverage and then pick that apart like you did uh, down the middle of the field, the tight ends a few times last night. It's just those little things, and he's got it working right now. But, you know, I'd, I don't think guys with lesser tools uh, necessarily, you know, have to have a lesser ceiling. If you want to look at some of the best quarterbacks of all time, Joe Montana, I don't think he ever threw the ball more than 50 yards down the field. Yeah. I don't remember the, the last time Tom Brady's thrown a, a deep ball for a touchdown. Uh, he definitely didn't have, you know, great velocity coming out of Michigan. Uh, he does other things, obviously, really, really well. Even if you want to look at Peyton Manning, and Peyton Manning had a pretty good arm up until the, the next surgery that ended his career in Indianapolis. But obviously, uh, he didn't have tremendous tools other than his, you know, height and his ability to basically – break down a defense um, in the film room uh, in 2012, 13, 14, and then even uh, at times in 2015. So I don't, I don't never, I never really would equate having the best tools to having a a higher ceiling. And I don't think it means that just because you don't have a a dominant arm and Trevor Simeon's got enough arm. And I think that's kind of, you need to have requisite arm strength in the NFL. And then Mm -hmm. after that, you know, it, I don't think it really makes that big of a difference. Um, I think Trevor Simeon can make most of the throws that Paxton Lynch can make, and I think he's making a lot more throws right now based on uh, his his football acumen right now, and I think that's that's probably more important. And I would definitely agree with that. I mean, our arm strength does not a great quarterback make. Just look at Jay Cutler. You know, for every John Elway, you have guys like Jay Cutler who they have the physical tools, but they can't put it together between the ears. And so Trevor Simeon, he's a guy that, you know, why he's not going to go out there and, and blow you away with his measurables and with his arm strength. He checks all the boxes, as you say, all the requisites for playing NFL quarterback from a physical uh, point of view, with the exception that I still worry as far as him being the starting quarterback. I worry about uh, his size. You know, he's built more like a baseball player than a football player. And I think the the Broncos strength and conditioning staffer have, have worked quite a bit this year uh, following his his shoulder surgery to help build up a little bit better core strength and and so he can withstand the vagaries and the war of attrition that is that 16-game NFL schedule. But again, I I do say, listen, it's time to rally behind Trevor Simeon. The only 
and and I don't say this to take away from that, but I do want to talk about the lesser player argument. It was something that was brought up yesterday on Twitter, or I should say Saturday on Twitter. And well, I'm not sure you were. I don't think you were alive. I was only four years old when not quite. <laughs> uh, when this same argument played out back in 1983. But the lesser player argument is this: Steve Deberg was a veteran uh, with the shiny number one overall pick, John Elway. Uh, the future of the franchise, right? Vying for the starting job. Everybody knew DeBerg was clearly the better player at the time. But as my old friend Jake Marsing and I were talking about last night uh, on Twitter, he made, a, Jake, a great point. And it's something I've basically been saying for six months. And that is that sometimes you have to hand the job to the first-round quarterback, even though everybody knows he is the lesser player, because it's the only way he's ever going to develop. If you go back and look at the 1983 Broncos, eventually they came to this conclusion. And if they hadn't, the rich history that Elway has provided the Broncos, um, you know, going for the next 16 years might never have happened. Elway and the Broncos, if you look back, go check out his numbers. There's not much film for you to find on YouTube, but Elway and the Broncos took some serious lumps. I mean, he completed just 47.5% of his passes as a rookie. If that were to happen in today's NFL, he would be branded a bust, and the the din uh, and the hue and cry from the outside would would really cripple any quarterback, uh, no matter where he was drafted in the first round. With those type of numbers, his second year he completed just 56.3% of his passes. Broncos rode through the the trough, right? Eventually that wave crested, and they went on to three Super Bowls in four years. And that's been my concern really throughout this entire process. Is you know the Broncos officially have yet to make any announcement on who the starter is. I'd be shocked if it isn't Simeon again. But the reality is this: Elway, despite knowing his own history, he's so motivated to win now that he's unlikely to show the same type of patience uh, in Lynch the Broncos showed him more than 30 years ago. Simeon gives the team the best chance to win now, granted, uh, and I, but the, I'll just continue to wonder what could have been had the Broncos just ripped off the Band-Aid and started the lesser player. But again, Will, with Elway and Joseph, I mean, the defense that they've, they've got right now isn't going to last forever, and that compulsion to capitalize and win now I think is going to override their desire to you know, really get the most out of that first round pick they invested in Lynch. I think the Broncos probably would have been better off if they had just put in Paxton Lynch week one, 2016, because I think it's pretty clear. And I think the the numbers and the film will kind of bear this out. But Paxton Lynch looked a lot better in the 2016 preseason than he has so far through the two games of the 27 preseason. And now it, I think it's just kind of negligent uh, if you have one player that's way more advanced. And I, I think we definitely saw that was the case last night against the 49ers and Trevor Simeon uh, to go out and kind of just ignore that and then put in, to be completely honest, an inferior quarterback uh, just because you think he has the potential to develop into something better. And to be honest, we don't really have any proof of that. That's that's all kind of speculation. You know, we saw him uh, put in a really good half against Tampa Bay, and then it's all really kind of gone downhill from then. I mean, if you want to look at it in kind of like a, a timeline of events, the the Tampa Bay game was kind of the crest for uh, for Pax and Lynch, and then it's just kind of gotten worse and worse and worse. And now here we are where he's lost the, the quarterback competition within two games, and it really just hasn't looked good at all through, through two preseason games. And I think – you know, the, I understand the argument of the lesser player and Elway and DeBerg, but I think it's not a perfect analogy because Elway is probably the most coveted college quarterback um, at that point. 
you know, watch the ESPN 30 for 30 about the 1983 draft, and I think you'll get a sense yeah, of Elway. how much teams really wanted him. Elway to Marino. Check it out on YouTube. Yeah, that's what it's called. Elway, you know, for all of his flaws, and some of those flaws were like lining up uh, <laughs> in front of – or lining up behind the left guard rather than the center and, yeah. you know, kind of stupid stuff like that. But he was actually a much more mechanically sound quarterback in 1983 than Paxton Lynch is today. And so I think, you know, mechanics are definitely – there's kind of a debate whether you can fix things like throwing motion. I think you can fix footwork. I don't know. Throwing motion seems to be a little bit more innate, and it seems to be harder to yeah. to fix. I, I mean, just look at uh, Tim Tebow. We heard about 50,000 stories about him working with quarterback gurus over the <laughs> offseason to cut that – Mm-hmm. Uh, released down from like four seconds to a half of a second. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think he's got so many things to to fix on the practice field before you can put him into a game. And, and reps, reps help. But I think if you're putting in a player who's still throwing off his back foot and he's winding up uh, for half a second to throw the ball down the field and he's staring down his reads, I, I don't think those that really helps if you're if you're putting in bad reps and enforcing bad habits. Yeah, and, and Nick made a good point, again, on that Facebook Live he did on Mile High Huddle's Facebook page uh, uh, Sunday morning. He made a good point, and I agree with him, that Paxton Lynch, if you go back and watch the tape, you know, he'd, he'd wind up to throw, and he would still unload, but it looked like about halfway through his windup, he's thinking to himself, oh, crap, should I unload this? Is this going to get picked off? <laughs> yeah. like, there, was that, there, there was just this weird, like, split-second just delay in his delivery and what does that mean well i don't i honestly in that case don't think that's particularly a mechanics uh issue uh i think it's him not trusting his eyes and it all comes back to confidence it all comes back to me you talk about comparing the 2016 preseason version of paxton lynch to this year and last year i think there were Despite him being the first-round pick, the Broncos were just coming off a Super Bowl victory. I don't think the pressure was quite as intense on Lynch to go out and win it as it has been yeah. this year. I mean, all the offseason moves as far as the coaching staff. I mean, listen, the Broncos, almost everything they did from a coaching perspective, schematic, much of the personnel, I mean, all of it was designed to develop Paxton Lynch. John Elway knew that, that Lynch was going to be a bit of a project when he selected him. And this whole, the whole last seven, eight months uh, in, for the Broncos organization has been Elway trying to speed up the development of Paxton Lynch. But where there's been a wedge thrown in there is the pressure. Uh, you never know how human beings are going to react to pressure. Uh, I mean, you don't want to equate it with things like war and battle, but it is very much a similar thing. And Paxton Lynch, when the chips go down and he feels that pressure— we're not seeing him manage it and handle it in a way that is conducive to being a starting quarterback in the NFL. And I think, in my opinion anyway, Will, that's why you see such a disparity between the 16 version yeah. of Lynch and the 17 version. No, I think you make a really good point. And I was just thinking about this earlier, too, is um, if you try to go back and look at uh, and Lynch's senior uh, – I don't know if it was his junior season or senior season in Memphis in junior. 2015. But junior. Yeah, his, his last year, uh, either way. He played really, really well uh, in the beginning of the season. Obviously, that that game against Ole Miss is kind of what put him on the radar, uh, especially for NFL scouts. But once there was kind of the word getting out about Memphis, you know, being undefeated, and you know, oh, if they make it to twelve and zero, whatever it is, do they have a spot in the college football playoff? And then 
that pressure kind of started seeping in. And then Memphis, who's not a big football program, started getting a lot of national attention. Yep. And then they have a game against Navy and they just kind of lay an egg. And that's the end of all the Memphis talk that year. And I think it it, it is, you know, something kind of to worry about because, you know, he, he performed so well when no one was really expecting anything out of him as a third string quarterback in the preseason last year. Right played better in relief of Trevor Simeon uh, than he did when he knew he'd ha- when he knew he had the start uh, in those two weeks against Atlanta and Jacksonville. Yep. And then, you know, if you watch that press conference last night, he just kind of he kind of looked defeated yep. and he knew he had he had lost yeah. the job and it was it was kind of, you know, it was a sad moment and it looked like it's like what have we done with all this the hashtag decision <laughs> stuff? It looks like we just <clears throat> we kind of just tore down this promising guy with just so much pressure and so many getting that just right temperature or getting an energy efficient appliance it's not only about making smart changes today it's about creating brighter tomorrows with simple steps to save energy plus you'll help protect the environment for years to come a better world for you your family and your community Get started with rebates and discover what energy efficient choices can help you power what's next at AlliantEnergy.com slash rebates. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner expectations it's it's hard to watch kind of he's just not wired uh i don't think to handle the pressure and that doesn't say much for his future prospects as being a quote-unquote franchise quarterback in the nfl so you know his career's not over let's we don't want to knee jerk too far here and and that wasn't my intention you know when i put out that piece about is this paxton lynch's last stand really what i was trying to say uh is that look this is all of the events are converging into this being his his greatest his best and greatest opportunity to win the job uh, fair and square and to give the Broncos front office what they wanted which is an excuse to play him and so that ship has sailed moving forward in 2017 you're not going to see Paxton Lynch on the field unless Trevor Simeon is hurt it's just as simple as that so what happens next year what happens the year after that? I mean, he's got two more years on his contract, and as a first-rounder, they can even option his fifth year. So that's the, that's a conversation for another time. But uh, I just think at this point, I agree with you, Will. It's It was sad kind of to see his reaction in that presser. It's disappointing that he wasn't able to capitalize on his opportunity and just kind of the ramifications for what it means for Denver's first-round investment from last year. So we're going to share our takeaways from uh, Broncos Niners, get a little bit deeper into other aspects of the game that did not necessarily involve the quarterbacks. But first, let me holler at you about becoming a Mile High Huddle VIP. Now, many of the you listeners have pulled the trigger on premium. We appreciate you. It supports the show, supports the site allows us to continue to bring you the most in-depth Broncos coverage on the web. Last week, we ran a three-for-one special for three days on VIP, and your response was absolutely phenomenal. Got locked in through, uh, basically, the Broncos' regular season. Now, for those of you who are new to the show, what is premium? 
Every week, Mile High Huddle saves our most analytical content for our VIPs, whether it's something a little more long form, whether it's a film review, um, like the one that will be published later on Sunday, three takeaways from the film, X's and O's. You know, the news stories are, are always going to be free for all, but the in-depth analysis and also any insider information we pick up along the way will be reserved for our VIPs. Now, this week, uh, there will be multiple film room articles for the VIPs breaking down individual players from Saturday night. And here's how it works. You have two options. You can sign up for a monthly membership, which costs 5 bucks per month, or you can go annual, which costs 49 for the year. So going annual, you can save 11 bucks through 12 months. From there, you get access to all our premium content, including our members-only message boards. And also, one of the benefits of being a VIP is you get a whopping 20% off on Broncos team merchandise through Fanatics, whether it's hoodies, hats, jerseys. So, you know, if you got your eye on that Trevor Simeon jersey, now that he's basically won the job, you can save some real money as a fan by being a VIP. So the best way to support Mile High Huddle and also the Huddle Up podcast is to go premium. So go to milehighhuddle.com, click the Join button in the top menu, and sign up. We love you. We appreciate you. Now, last year, the Broncos' uh, rushing game, Will, was was absolutely uh, woeful, at least in the second half of the season. And much of that had to do with the porous and, frankly, impotent offensive line, also some injuries to the running back core with C.J. Anderson. Over the offseason, though, the Broncos made some huge investments in both the O-line and the running back stable, and so far, it would seem that it has paid off. The proof is, is in the proverbial pudding. Now, it's only preseason, but the Broncos have been able to move the ball on the ground. On Saturday night, Denver rushed for 146 yards as a team with two touchdowns on the ground, averaging 4.3 yards per clip. C.J. Anderson looked good. D'Angelo Henderson was electric once again. Stephen Ridley ran hard. And, of course, Jawan Thompson broke off a 20-yard touchdown in the fourth quarter. So penalties, once again, I think set back a lot of the momentum the Broncos were would build up offensively at different points in the game. It's actually pretty consistent throughout the game. But I was honestly encouraged, Will, by how the O-line and the running game is shaping up. Right, and I think uh, a lot of that kind of goes back to the offensive line. So I think the interior line got some pretty good push. And the tackles, Garrett Bowles and Menelik Watson held up pretty well, aside from a few penalties, obviously, from from Bowles that kind of derailed a couple of drives there. Uh, And then the tight ends, like Jeff Hireman, uh, Virgil Green, even A.J. Derby, are all blocking pretty effectively. Uh, Obviously, like you mentioned earlier, the running backs were doing their job. Uh, D'Angelo Henderson, obviously, Looks like the real deal. And then I think Jawan Thompson especially looks a lot more comfortable in the power blocking scheme than he does in the zone blocking scheme. And we kind of saw him look uh, about as good as he has uh, since his rookie year in 2014 when he was uh, really taking people by surprise. But I think what it, when it comes down to it, you have to you have to credit the Broncos and you have to credit John Elway for putting so many resources into upgrading the offensive line. Because they looked at it and they kind of – you know, it was pretty obvious even from the outside that the offensive line was the weakness of the team. Yep. And they weren't complacent, and they they got rid of Clancy Barone, who was the offensive line coach last year. They brought in Jeff Davidson, who's, who's a veteran, who's been an offensive coordinator as well. Uh, and then, the, you know, they spent a first-rounder on Garrett Bowles. He, all, he already looks like uh, a massive upgrade from last year, uh, despite having kind of a down night, and we'll talk about that later. Um, but he brought in Ronald Leary. Metalik Watson looked a lot improved uh, oh, yeah. from week one to week two. Uh, if you 
yeah, if, especially in pass protection. Alan Barber, too, he's still kind of battling it out with Max Garcia, but um, I think eventually the job will be his at left guard. And they, did, they didn't even have Matt Paradis last night, and Connor McGovern looked pretty serviceable as a backup. And that he's, he's of course, a 2016 draft pick who was originally supposed to be guard uh, that they converted inside to center. So we'll see if he gets any reps and um, when Paradis comes back. But like I said, it really comes down to they – they diagnosed a problem and LA didn't really spare any expense in going out and trying to fix it. And it, it's kind of paying off right now. Yeah. I would say, you know, here, here's a little crystal ball for you guys. Matt Paradis returns this coming week. Vance Joseph already said he's going to play against green Bay. I think you're going to see with how well Connor McGovern has performed at center. I think you're going to see them. I mean, cause ultimately what do they want? They want the best starting five on the field. Um, and I think you're going to see him get some looks next week. He might not necessarily start the game. Wouldn't be surprised if he does. But you're going to see him get a look at that other guard spot opposite of Ron Leary. And Ron Leary, by the way, is as advertised. I mean, the Broncos invested some $24 million, I think it was, guaranteed into him. And he's looking like the truth. So keep an eye on Connor McGovern as a guy who could be the, the dark horse to end up starting opposite of Ronald Leary. And I wouldn't be surprised also, on a side note, the Broncos end up moving Leary back to the left side, and whether it's Connor McGovern or uh, Alan Barber starting on the right side, I think Max Garcia has played himself out of that conversation, though. Now, we didn't get to uh, see much from Jamal Carter, which was disappointing after such an impressive first game as a Bronco in Chicago. Denver's uh, undrafted rookie free safety. Well, I guess he's more of a strong safety, actually, but he suffered a knee contusion early in the game. The Broncos don't see it as a serious injury, so we should see Carter back in the saddle soon. And fortunately, that was Denver's only injury on the night. Now, the Broncos absolutely dominated the trenches from the first to the third-team defense. I mean, Zach Kerr, Demata Pecco, Adam Gotsis all played very well, and some of the younger D-linemen who received longer looks on Saturday night also did a lot to shine. And we'll talk more about individual players when we get to the risers and uh, fallers, but Will... The Broncos held the Niners to just 37 rushing yards, averaging just 1.9 yards per attempt. And granted, it was the Niners. Granted, it was preseason. But with Derek Wolf, Jared Crick, and Billy Wynn absent, Billy Wynn, of course, gone for the season, I was very encouraged by what, uh, how that, that front seven performed, especially the D-line. Yeah, no, the defensive line was really impressive. Um, I think we saw from Pecco, what we, we've wanted to see since uh, they brought him in from Cincinnati. And he was just – he wasn't necessarily getting a ton of penetration, and that's okay, but he was swallowing up runs either way. And he, he showed that he's got a lot of reach and he can cover a lot of ground laterally. And I think he did that, and that kind of blew up a few run plays. Or it, it, it kind of keeps two-yard runs from becoming five-yard runs and, you know, five-yard runs from becoming 10, 15-yard runs. But he was kind of stopping them, not necessarily at the line of scrimmage, but – at least a couple yards past and kind of holding holding the 49ers to, to minimal gains. Uh, Carlos Hyde was kind of the only guy that had success against them, and uh, part of that was Shelby Harris had a really good game overall, but yeah. um, I think it was in the late second quarter. But Shelby Harris was kind of getting pushed around by, by Brandon Fusco, I think is his name, the guard. But he was flashing his helmet outside, and then Carlos Hyde was reading that pretty easily and then cutting back inside. So that was kind of their only uh, – weak link as far as the whole game goes aside from that Shelby Harris was kind of a revelation um, obviously we know about the turnovers but yep. his getting in there and, and plugging runs along with Tyreek Jarrett who swallowed up a huge run um, I think in the second half but 
yeah, they look like they've got a lot of depth on defensive line. And um, it's a good thing that they do because uh, that's where uh, all the injuries have seemed, seem to be coming from. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if Shelby Harris has found a spot on the roster and Tyreek Jarrett looks like he's got one. So we'll have to see how the depth shakes out. 112 consecutive starts or games anyway uh, for Demata Peco. That was an interesting uh, graphic and statistic that the Nine News production put out uh, on Saturday night. I mean, Demata Peco, remarkably durable, remarkably consistent player. You know, he's never been uh, all pro caliber, but he is absolutely looking like a, a upgrade over what the Broncos have had the last couple of years with Sir Sylvester Williams at the nose and the depth behind him with Tyreek Jarrett. Um, and Zach Kerr, of course, being able to play the nose. Very encouraging. And another th- note I want to make as far as Adam Gotsis, he just looked like a different player. Nick made another good point on his Facebook yeah. Live Sunday morning that Gotsis, there was times he would just be so quick off the ball and penetrate into the backfield, and he would get there and disrupt, but he was unable to actually make a play on the ball because he kind of would do so. By the time he got there, he was a little bit out of control with his momentum, and so he kind of his own dominance at times took him out of the play. But it was great to see that. It was great to see him at times also downfield. Uh, I mean, 10, 12, 14 yards downfield, helping to clean up other plays. So really impressed with Gotsis and really encouraged to see how he can continue to progress because that guy's size and his sheer athleticism and explosion is just phenomenal. He's just got to put it all together between the ears. Now, let's get to the risers and fallers from Broncos Niners. We'll start with the risers. Will, I've been doing a lot of the talking, so let's go through these kind of semi-rapid fire, and you start us off with your risers from Game 2 of the preseason. Sure. So, first of all, I think this one's pretty obvious, and I won't uh, elaborate too much because we've talked about him for what feels like three hours already, but Trevor Simeon is the first riser. He won the starting job, so I think that's all you really have to say about that. Uh, second is D'Angelo Henderson, and he got he had a, a few nice runs, but I think what he showed us that he hasn't showed us before is that he has the ability to be split out wide and then run some pretty crisp routes. I know that slant route to um, or from Simeon uh, in that two-minute drill was a really good route. Looks like he has pretty natural hands. And then he got that other touchdown called back um, where he, he, I think he juked out like a couple 49ers on the way to the end zone. So he looked really good as a receiver. So twitchy. Third, uh, yeah, very much so. Uh, Kyle Sloter, five for five is all you really have to say (laughs) about that. So I think they kind of, we haven't really talked about this, but they have an interesting decision to make. Uh, with Kyle Sloter. So I, I think what's going to probably happen is they'll IR Chad Kelly or at least put him on the pup list uh, and then keep Kyle Sloter either on the practice squad or inactive during most of the games because, you know, I don't know if he if he'll survive uh, waivers because yeah. I don't know if he's missed a throw yet I, in the preseason. I don't think Chad Kelly uh, is going to be on the roster this year. He's going to be IR'd. And John Elway, more often than not, prefers to carry three quarterbacks, especially when your top two are as young and inexperienced as, as uh, Simeon and Lynch are. Not that um, Sloter brings any particular experience, but he is just another body that so far has played well. So I agree with you there. Right. So uh, fourth riser would be Jawan Thompson. He, Like I said earlier, he, he looks way more comfortable uh, in a power-blocking offense. Uh, had that little sweep play uh, from the 20-yard line that he, he found the hole really quickly. And then once he gets ahead of steam, it's just really hard to bring him down because he's just a he, – he's built kind of like a rectangle. And I don't know if all the all the 
sharp corners on the number four and in this 40 kind of accentuate that but he looks like a he just looks like a brick and he just looks really hard to bring down i wouldn't want to get in his way and i don't think the 49ers did either so he had that really nice touchdown i think uh played himself at least in the conversation that's something we'll have to keep an eye on later and then lastly uh can't really ignore brandon mcmanus because he was four for four in his field goals hit from 45 51 42 and 40 and so that's Really, really good consistency. Yep. He's just putting it right down the pipe, right between the pipes uh, from long range. And it's, you know, it's kind of lost on us, but it's kind of a great story how how far he's come from being Matt Prater's kind of emergency replacement to yep. struggling a lot in 2014, then bringing in Connor Barth. But they didn't give up on McManus and they kept him as a kickoff specialist because they thought he had the ability to improve. And they proved them right. And he had, he had a pretty great 2015 season until the end and then capped it off with a perfect kick record in the in the playoffs and was great in the Super Bowl. A lot better last year, and now he looks like he's really found his rhythm. So just kind of to recap it, Simeon, Henderson, Sloter, Thompson, and McManus are my risers. Yep, and it was good to see Juwan Thompson uh, get, a little, get a little seat at the table and break off that 20-yard touchdown. Who knows? I mean, this this running back competition is shaping up to be one of the more interesting battles of the summer, so we'll have to keep a close eye on that. Now, for me, Zach Kerr is number one. Um, I mean, the onus was on the, the defensive line, especially those next guys in this, this past Saturday uh, with the injuries above them on the depth chart. Zach Kerr, I thought, wherever they lined him up, played very, very well. Tyreek Jarrett, the undrafted rookie out of Pitt. I mean, there was that one play where he just absolutely destroyed um, the third-team center for San Francisco and knifed into the backfield, you know, pushed the the center back into the ball carrier and just swallowed the running back. So good to see Tyreek Jarrett showing out, especially with the loss of Billy Wynn. The Broncos need to have um, some consistent depth behind Demata Pecco. As you mentioned earlier, Shelby Harris – I mean, this guy has, I think, really played himself into the conversation. I think for him, not only does he have to continue to keep performing well, but roster math is really going to play a role on whether or not he ends up with a seat at the table. Steven Ridley, look, he's he's yet to be one of the, the running backs to have scored a touchdown in the preseason. Uh, basically, every every running back but him has scored a touchdown in the preseason thus far, but I continue to remain impressed with him. I mean, on in special teams, he's willing uh, and able to contribute there, which is important for a guy, a running back, third, fourth, or even fifth on the depth chart to, to be counted on in the third phase. But when he got the ball, I mean, he runs. I love how his balance as a runner, he kind of runs with, with his the top half of his body forward so that when he does take hits and when he does go down, I mean, he's always falling forward. Um, he runs with great physicality. I mean, he, he runs almost like he's angry all the time, which is a way yeah. that Juwan Thompson kind of made his way into the NFL was running angry like that. And I'll never forget Thompson's that quintessential play uh, as a rookie against the Niners going all the way back to 14 where he just trucked um, that defensive back for a, for a long play. But getting back to Steven Ridley, he just hasn't had the opportunity to run 
as much with the first team. And if you if you give him a couple of reps with the first team, I'd be interested in an actual game to see what he does with them. He's really suffered from some very poor blocking by the backup units, penalties, and that's really what's held him back from having a similar production, I think, than the other three running backs. And then lastly for me, Chris Lewis-Harris. Now, he wasn't all good. You know, he there was definitely a couple of plays in coverage in which he got exposed, and then, of course, he got trucked by uh, that tight end. I forget his name. Kittle? K- Kittle? From Iowa? Yeah, George Kittle. George Kittle from Iowa trucked him on that uh, touchdown down the left sideline. But he had that phenomenal interception where he basically ripped the ball out of the receiver's hands uh, gave the Broncos that was a great play. another possession. Yeah, so, you know, we'll talk more about fallers here, but Chris Lewis-Harris has definitely, I think, played himself into a situation where the Broncos are going to have to make some tough decisions at uh, at cornerback. So, for the fallers, I'll start us off. For me, as you started with Simeon as the riser, I'm starting with Paxton Lynch as a faller. Pretty self-explanatory. You know, he had uh, he had the opportunity, and he wasn't able to capitalize, and he's now going to have to take his seat on the bench as Trevor Simeon's backup. My next guy is Max Garcia. Again, he did start out the game at left guard, but it didn't take long for him to be supplanted by Alan Barber. And pretty much any time Max Garcia was on the field, you go back and watch him, he's just inconsistent. I mean, there was a play uh, in the fourth quarter, I believe, if I'm remembering off the top of my head. I didn't don't have my notes pulled up. But it was a third and short on the right-hand side. Stephen Ridley got the ball. Max Garcia just got totally dominated off the block um, from the left guard position, allowing his guy to cross his face, knife in between him and the center in the A-gap, and just swallow up Stephen Ridley. Very disappointing. Max Garcia at this point, I just I think the Broncos need to face facts and just realize he's a depth guy and let Alan Barber, let uh, Connor McGovern, and even Billy Turner battle it out for that remaining starting guard spot. Another follower for me of Ontarius Dora, he just hasn't been able to create any kind of uh, pressure on the quarterback in two games in which he has seen a significant amount of reps. And were it not for right. for the injuries atop the depth chart, uh, I don't think he's really done anything to solidify a roster spot this time around. If the Broncos keep him, it's only because they don't have a lot of choice. And then uh, my last two very quickly, Brendan Langley. You know, third-round compensatory pick for the Broncos. He's yet to do anything notable in a good way in, through these two games. Exposed consistently in coverage uh, on Saturday night by um, the two different Niners quarterbacks. And then lastly, Lorenzo Doss. He's just really struggled. And he's a guy, unfortunately, that was drafted by a team that's predominantly man coverage. And he's a guy that is just – he's his own type of corner. He's got great insti- instincts as far as nose for the ball, but – he hasn't been able to parlay his sensational training camp practices performances into the game. So those are my five fallers, Lynch, Garcia, Dora, Langley, and Doss. Yeah, Dora really got put – I tweeted this out from Mile High Huddle too, but Kyle Juszczyk on that little – I think it was a little like flat route to the fullback, but he got put in a blender by Kyle Juszczyk on the sideline, and he just, he just got spun in like – juked into another dimension so uh, that's the only reason he's a he's a faller for me too but uh, i have a pretty similar list um just because i think this is an encouraging thing too but it was a lot easier to find risers than it was fallers last night just because you know by virtue of the 33 to 14 type of performance but starting off i also have paxton lynch and i think that's 
pretty self-explanatory as well. And we talked about it, so I won't beat a dead horse there, but Doss again, uh, got picked on a little bit last night. Um, I think Chris Lewis Harris gained a little bit of ground on him just by making that great play, um, on Marquise Goodwin and then Garrett Bowles. And I don't think it's uh, necessarily a big deal, but I think it did just expose some of the flaws that we knew about Garrett Bowles coming out of Utah. And that's that he is a pretty consistent player, but there are, are always going to be some penalties and holding was a big, I guess it was one of his, you know, the marks against him coming out of Utah uh, as a, as a left tackle. And I think that's kind of why he fell um, to where he did. But so he showed a little bit of that last night. Other than that, I thought he was pretty consistent along with Menelik Watson, but he did get beat by Tank Carradine on one play and then uh, held up really well in one-on-one against Eli Harold for most of the game, but I think he got beat um, by him on one play as well. So it's not something to really worry about or be too concerned about, but he played so well last week that I think he's a little bit of a follower just because uh, he came back down to earth a little bit and kind of, you know, proved that, the weaknesses that he did have in college are still there to some extent. And we'll see if that kind of remains to be the case in, in the regular season, but hopefully not. And then the fourth faller, I had him on there last week, but he's staying because his unit underperformed again. And we saw that on a 104 yard kickoff return, mm-hmm. but it's broccoli though. Yeah. I love him, And we're still working on the cloning, cloning machine, uh, to, to work on 11 Andy Janoviches right, right. to, to run kickoff coverage. Oh, yeah. But until then, uh, he's got to find the best combo. And a few guys were just kind of over-pursuing. Um, I think it was Khalif Raymond whiffed on that 104-yard return. Uh, a few guys, yeah, I think it was Justin Simmons too on that first punt return. Just It didn't break down uh, quickly enough and kind of overran the play as well. A few, a few players are, are showing up well on special teams. Obviously, got those four field goals for McManus. And then D'Angelo Henderson actually uh, covered a kick and then and made a tackle on a yep. punt uh, as well. So he's he's kind of showing up in another phase as well. So Brock Olivo, unfortunately, uh, I don't think he'll be there forever. I, th- I think he'll iron it out. And he's such a charismatic guy that I, I hate to do it <laughs> to him, but he's on the followers for second week in a row. Uh, and then finally, Tyson Brilo. He was really, really good last week, but I have to put him on the followers list because Trevor Simeon went out and won the job, and then on the next drive, he almost got him killed when he missed so badly on Ahmad Brooks that he had a he had basically a free shot on the newly minted starting quarterback. So he's a faller for almost uh, almost pushing back that starting quarterback decision until Simeon had to recover from a potential uh, <laughs> career-ending injury. Fortunately, he was okay. He actually completed the pass to Marlon Brown too, but Ty Sambrilo. Unfortunately, you are a follower for that one play. I think the biggest thing with Garrett Bowles is you're going to see some of those uh, rookie mistakes get ironed out. And I think Brian Greasy, another thing he said that was prescient in uh, the broadcast Saturday night was that many of those kinks uh, Bowles is, is suffering from as far as technique and the holds and stuff, a lot of that will be ironed out with a quarterback who he becomes comfortable with knowing who the quarterback is behind him, you know, building chemistry, knowing where he's going to be, knowing what his tendencies are will help him out there. But Garrett Bowles still, he did have three penalties, two holding calls and a false start, but he was absolutely a physical maniac in the running game. I thought by and large in his past sets, he held his own. You know, there are going to be times as a rookie that he's going to have some breakdowns and some lapses, and it's going to happen. But I think thus far, the good has outweighed the bad. And as far as Olivo, 
look, so many of the guys covering the kicks right now for the Broncos aren't even going to be on the team on September 11th. So it's hard to put too much of a of a you know worry on that particular situation. But I do agree with you. I mean, he's feeling a little bit of, of fire, and the onus is on him to you know rally the troops and crack the whip and get these guys back in shape. So. Let's uh, move on to our final segment, time of the week, where we take a question or two from the Mile High Mailbag. We are your football priests. We're here to offer absolution and answers to your burning Broncos questions. And, of course, we always enjoy engaging with our listeners. Now, today's question, Will, comes from Carl Kroon at Troy for Life on Twitter. His question is, well, first he says, it's obvious that Trevor is the guy. So I think D'Angelo Henderson should get a lot of carries versus Green Bay and Stephen Ridley also. What do you think? Now, Simeon most certainly is the guy. As for the running backs, C.J. Anderson going to get a lot of work against Green Bay. But I do expect D'Angelo Henderson to continue to see some snaps with the ones. But it will be interesting to see how the Broncos pepper in Jamal Charles because he's planning on playing. They're planning on playing him uh, that night as well. And with how hard Steven Ridley's been running, how committed he's been on special teams, well, I just – I don't know. At this point, anything can change in the next two games, but I have a hard time seeing the Broncos parting ways with him, at least until uh, Devontae Booker returns, regardless of what happens with Jamal Charles. And then Jawan Thompson, despite that 20-yard breakout play of his, I think he's my guy on the outside looking in right now. Right. All the running backs have looked so good through two weeks that we kind of forgot that Devontae Booker is actually on the team, and he'll probably be back uh, hopefully around week one. But – We still have also yet to see Jamal Charles, and I know that they're ready to break him in uh, against Green Bay. And so probably start off with C.J. Anderson through, you know, they usually like to play the starters uh, for the first half in that dress rehearsal game. So I think we'll see him for at least most of the first quarter, if not into the second quarter. Um, And then I think they'll give Jamal Charles uh, a good amount of work. And I I think they want to test him and see how he holds up with a little bit of – you know, strain and, and see if uh, he's got the durability to make it through a season. So I think he'll probably get, you know, it's hard to say, yeah. but he'll probably get somewhere upward of five carries and then they'll probably target him on a few plays as well um, just to kind of see where he's at. Um, they haven't really gotten to test him out too much, but we'll see how he does against live reps. Uh, and then, you know, Jawan Thompson, like I said, worked his way back into the conversation. Unfortunately, there's you can only really have four running backs, uh, especially if you're going to keep Andy Janovich as the fullback, which I think they are. You know, Thompson's probably on the outside looking in as well. Looked great in the power run scheme, but I I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say. I don't know if Ridley makes the team. Uh, right now I have CJ, uh, D'Angelo Henderson, obviously. I don't think you can stash him on the practice squad. Uh, there's no way he makes it. And then I think Charles – Although I wouldn't be shocked if he didn't make the fifty-three man roster. That's just what I was going to say. Is I Jamal Charles right. has no guarantee at this point. With I mean, it'd be one thing yeah. if, the, if the running backs were still struggling or at least not being. I mean, these running backs have been almost transcendent. I mean, they've been phenomenal. When C.J. Anderson is almost looking like the worst guy on the field, that means you yeah. you, you know. Uh, you have an embarrassment of riches. And by virtue of that embarrassment of riches, Jamal Charles, you know, if, especially with his cap hit, I mean, if they keep him, his his salary is based on performance escalators, but he's got to be able to come out in this third preseason game, Will, and really make a statement because 
D'Angelo Henderson, I mean, he's not even in the conversation of can you sneak him on the practice squad. Right now, he looks like the best running yeah. back on the freaking team. So he's a, he's a <laughs> lock. But Jamal Charles, you know, as, as excited as we were when the Broncos signed him, we haven't seen him yet. Meanwhile, the whole crew has been rocking and rolling. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see if he can, you know, show out next week. Yeah, it's a huge game for Jamal Charles next week. And they don't – uh, they changed the rules so they don't have to cut down the roster from 90 to 75. They just go from 90 to 53. So he'll get definitely two games. They won't cut him. They won't cut anybody after the third game. As far as like meeting any type of quota, they might cut people just to um, just in case you know they want to get other guys more reps and they know that other guys don't have a shot of making yeah. it. But we've kind of yet to see that because that's a that's a pretty recent rule change. It was actually this year, so this is the first time we've ever had it. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's kind of surprising, but you know Jamal Charles definitely isn't a lock. But you know we'll see next week because if he doesn't look up to speed and he doesn't look healthy enough to to carry out a whole season, then you got Stephen Ridley right there. You got Jawan Thompson, then you got Devonte Booker coming back. So there's there's no shortage of options. So Jamal Charles has really got to impress if he wants to make the team. Absolutely, we had a couple more questions uh, we wanted to get to today, but. We've ran a little bit long, and I think we got to put this one in the books. Um, it's all the time we have for today's show. You can find Will in the Twitterverse, at WillKey6, and myself, at Chad and Jensen. We both manage the uh, Mile High Huddle Twitter account as well, so make sure you're following that. Tweet us your questions. We'll try to address your concerns on the show as often as we can, at HuddleUpPod on Twitter. Look for Nick and Carl's preview of the Green Bay game by Thursday morning. And don't forget to subscribe, y'all. For Will, I'm Chad. We'll talk to you soon. Mile High Huddle. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 